Soapbox today is Carmen Schober from Stacios. We had a great conversation about many things, but the theme today is probably that from time to time Christians have got to be mean. And when you listen to Carmen talk and you hear the sound of her voice, you're going to have a difficult time believing that this pleasant young woman is mean ever. But that's what she says. She says she is from time to time, so we got to take her at her word. Give this a listen. It's a great conversation. I think you're going to enjoy it. Carmen Schober from Stacey's. Hi. Yes. Nice. Thank you for having me on, John. This is exciting. I have a podcast, but I am rarely invited onto other people's podcasts, so this is exciting. <laughs> All right. Well, I guess it's not true. I was once invited to a Canadian Rocky podcast. I'm a big Rocky fan. So it's these two brothers that have a podcast about Rocky. So I was invited to that one. So that like, was fun. Like Rocky Balboa? Yep, like Rocky Balboa. <laughs> or more more largely just Sylvester Stallone. Okay. <laughs> I'm like a super fan. So that's something you guys can know about me. I'm super fan of Sylvester Stallone, particularly Rocky series. Um, but yes, my name is Carmen Schober and I am the editor-in-chief of Stacios which is a pretty new online platform that I just started with my co-editor, Ian Hewitt. And we basically saw the, at the same time, we both noticed that there was a growing interest in the intellectual dark web. I don't know if you're familiar with that term. You ever heard of that? Basically, it's a very ominous term that refers to um, non-mainstream but popular content. So like Joe Rogan, um, Quillette is a good example. And those do a really good job of challenging mainstream narratives and really pushing back on kind of the lies of progressivism, but they don't offer like a Christian perspective on anything. So where Stacios comes in is we want to be similar, but we want to connect it to the gospel and show how Christianity has answers to these questions and provides a much better narrative and provides the truth. So that's kind of where Stasios was born. Okay. Well, when you say dark web, that tends to make people think, like makes me think of evil and darkness <laughs> and bad. Uh, but the dark web isn't necessarily uh, oh, no. evil. No, no, no. The dark web, I mean, they gave it that name because it's, it's, um, information that many people would like censored or suppressed or distorted, not because it's bad, just because it's unpopular. Right. Ben Shapiro, Ben Shapiro is considered somebody in the intellectual dark web. On the dark web. Right. Yeah. Well, but that's important I think to establish because we have, uh, we have an audience and I think you have, I think we share an audience in that there are a lot of Christian people who, uh, who don't know what these terms mean. Yeah. And so if you, if you say to them, well, you know, we're going to, we have a podcast on the dark web, for example, <laughs> they're going to go, well, how can you say that you love Jesus and be part of the dark web? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think that's true. But yeah. definitely, I mean, there's definitely, there's, there is weird stuff on the dark web, but right. it's not, it's not, well, that's part of the reason too, why we want to exist is obviously I think Quillette does really good work. I think there are good aspects to the dark web, but people are also, also getting not very good answers <laughs> to their questions. Right. So. There is right. that aspect of it, too. Well, that's that's part of the reason that I was intrigued by what you guys are doing. I went to I went to Stacey House to the website, and I read the blogs. I listened to the podcast. And 
uh, and I think we have a kindred spirit because uh, what you guys are trying to do is acknowledge that there is this uh, alternative source of information out there. You call it the dark web, call it, call it alternative news, call it whatever you want to do. But from a Christian perspective, it's, it's a very, it's a very fine line that we have to walk because while we're acknowledging that this is alternative and there are, there are aspects of it that we don't agree with, um, we have to be engaged in this culture because that's right. where, that is where, uh, that is where lies and, uh, and, and evil are being exposed to mm-hmm. a certain extent, even, even not necessarily by professed Christian people. You, know, you right, talk about right. Joe Rogan yeah. Yeah. or Jordan, Jordan Peterson, Peterson. Yeah. 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 Or, or Ben Shapiro, Jinx, yeah. you owe me a cup. <laughs> uh, but yeah, you, and, and I know Christian people who, church people, I go to church with these people who are like, well, you can't listen to Ben Shapiro because he's not a Christian, he's a Jew. And it makes me go, uh, I, understand, I understand that we need to be careful and to guard our doctrine, but for goodness sakes, if Christians are ill-equipped to maneuver, you know, in, oh, yeah. in a right out, out there, yeah, um, you have to have some discernment. I mean, Ben Shapiro, yes, he, he's a Jew. He he doesn't believe in Christianity, but he hosts his his platform hosts very Christian, devout Christian people to come talk about their perspective. So you know, it's it it wouldn't make any sense to me to right off Ben Shapiro (laughs) or even Joe Rogan. I mean, Joe Rogan is crass and he is kind of an imbecile when it comes to religion. Like he Mm -hmm. gets really, um, you know, I think Joe Rogan is very, uh, conversational and he seems like a fun guy, but you get him on religion and he turns into this very like aggressively rude person. But I think you can still listen to him. I think you can still glean some interesting things from him, but I know what you mean. I mean, obviously, you have to exercise some discernment and wisdom in whatever you're consuming because I mean, nobody's doing it perfectly. So. Right. Right. And that's the, that's the challenge for, for me at least is trying to, uh, trying to speak to the culture in the way that I think I'm supposed to be speaking to the culture and getting getting flack from the people who are on my side, you know, yeah. the, the church people. I'm, I'm one of you Christian yeah. people. I am one of you. Right. Uh, so right. don't, you know, don't be taking pot shots at me while I'm out here trying to. Yeah. You know, no, to I, was, I was going to say, you said we're kindred spirits. You are funnier than I am, but I think what we definitely have in common, it sounds like just based off of what I, you know, you've told me about stuff that's gone on with your Facebook platform. And I've read your book, which I really thought was fun. Um, We both have experienced being accused of being unloving and mean and (laughs) all this and that. And that, that largely comes from Christians. I'm called mean by um, confused Christians more than I'm called mean. Well, I guess maybe not more, but at least as often as I'm called names by non-Christian people, which is a problem, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's a problem for me. And I I want you to talk about that um, because it's a problem for me because I grew up in church. And so I've got, I've got a lot of church in my background. Um, Some of, and, and I mean that positively, but I also mean negatively. I mean, there's some, Mm -hmm. there's some baggage that comes along with it. 
and you are you go through a phase where uh, you sort of outgrow your faith. And if you if you grow up in church, that is alarming and shocking to people in the church because wait a minute, I thought you believed like we do, and I still do. Well, why are you so mean? Why are you so <laughs> Why are you so cutting? Why are you pushing people away from the gospel now? We want we want people to come to church, and the way you write and the way you talk, you're driving people away from right. church. Um, yeah, that's a that's common a, argument. Well, and it's a fair accusation because. Uh, I am driving people away from from a certain aspect of institutionalized religion because right, yeah, yeah. because I find it detestable. <laughs> but but right. when you say that, what people hear is I hate the church, mm-hmm. uh, and right. so right. So and I, I do have a, a couple of conversation starters that I didn't expect to have to use because we got right into the conversation. Oh yeah, no, but, go ahead. Uh, but you brought it up and yeah. and uh, the idea of kindness. Um, and gentleness, and how does that? How does a how does a Christian who is not kind and not gentle uh, justify sharing faith? Well, I think though we have to we have to kind of dig underneath some of the assumptions that people make when they say that. Like people accuse me of being mean or unkind or you know, being divisive. That's one that you hear a lot. And I'm not going to, I won't claim that I've never done, I'm like that I'm not those things sometimes without, you know, but oftentimes what they mean when they say that is what you are saying might make someone uncomfortable or the fact that you are not saying it in the way that I would prefer you to say it means I'm going to discredit what you're saying. There's like a lot of, you know, I don't, I don't very often take that kind of criticism just at face value because very often I've just learned in having lots of interactions with people online, um, in real life, that there's very often more going on under the surface. And to come at me with starting your argument with something like, I'm really offended by what you said, or I'm deeply hurt, or I'm struggling. You know, it's sort of like, let's just like get to underneath it. You don't like what I said, but what I'm saying it because it's true is often sort of the the tension that exists. So I think people use the meanness, that sort of thing as more of a way to not have to have a conflict that they need to have. Um, Right. And Stasios, we talk right. a lot about controversial <laughs> things. But do you know how mean it sounds to hear you say that? <laughs> well, you know, I guess for me, I don't know. I'm no longer bothered when people tell me I'm not nice because I'm a mom <laughs> of two. I have two little girls. I, you know, I love my family. I used to be a teacher. Every teacher evaluation I got, everyone told me I was too nice. I just, I don't believe it. I don't believe that I'm mean. <laughs> like, I believe that people don't like what I have to say, but I know that anyone who knows me knows that I'm not mean spirited. I'm not trying to hurt people. It's not like, it's not coming from this place of, I, I want you to feel bad. It's coming from a place of, I love God. I love the church. I love my family. I love helping people to realize things that will set them free. And sometimes I can't say what you want me to say. <laughs> like, I just can't do it. That's not like the nice thing to do. It might feel nice, but it's not, it's not truly loving of me to lie to you. 
and yeah people prefer lots of qualifiers and this and that and I used to really try to do that my background <laughs> is academia so you know I used to teach I used to teach like a 101 class on race gender all that you know that whole world that whole goofy world of identity politics and being very careful about everything that you say and packaging it all very nicely. And so I know, I mean, I can do it, but I choose not to. I don't want to. I don't think it's helpful. I don't think it helps anybody. Um, I think we have to cut through that. I think the church especially has to cut through that and get to truth. And so much of that kind of like, you know, oh, we have to be nice. We have to be very careful in how we approach this. We have to endlessly go in circles before we just say what needs to be said. I don't think that's proving to help anybody. Right. So, my perspective. Uh, well, that's, like I said, I think we have a kindred spirit. Uh, <laughs> I, I would have been shocked if you hadn't said something like that. <laughs> One of the things that we get on the podcast from our, from our listeners is they will write us occasionally and they will say, I appreciate that it's blunt and that it cuts through the B- BS. Uh, and, and, and it didn't even occur to me that that's what we were doing. We're just having, you know, we're just having a conversation. But apparently, there are people out there who don't hear conversations like that very often, mm-hmm. and that makes me, that makes me a little sad because uh, where do you go to hear true things? And if if it's at if it's not at the church, and it is increasingly not at church because the church is now. Uh, having to be politically correct yeah we're having to we're having to the 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 culture is now telling us how we're supposed to behave in order Mm -hmm. to be attractive to them and that was something that I noticed a few years ago as a I'm an elder at our at our church yeah and the conversations at the various leadership meetings started to turn towards this well what are visitors going to think what are visitors going to think what are we going to what are we going to do to attract the visitors and I'm like I'm like, this is an odd conversation to be having from a bunch of people yeah. who are who I thought we understood that we're just going to profess truth. We're just going right. to we're just going to hold the gospel up, and whosoever will, right, right, is going well, to come. What you're describing, I mean, that that attitude that so many Christians have that one, we need to be really worried about how our message is going to be received, and two, that true, bold, honest. Experience explanation of what the Christian faith is would be off-putting to people. Both of those things are just false. Like the point of the church is to be the church. It's for, it's for the saints to gather together, to equip one another, to fellowship with one another. The main purpose of the church, yes, we want people to be attracted to our community, but it's not, that's not the main point. It's for, it's for our benefit as believers to gather together. Um, And if we did that, if we focused on, really teaching people who are in the church what they need to know to to go out in culture to live godly lives to just function in this society that would be a great that would be a step in the right direction and then on the flip side people are so insistent that being bold or somewhat abrasive or firm is really unattractive. And that's just not the case. Like it's unattractive to some people, but it's attractive to other people. Like many people, like you said, you know, I I know plenty of non-Christians who hate political correctness. They hate the circular dancing around of everything because you might offend somebody or, you know, 
having to create all these smoke and mirrors before you figure out what someone actually is about. And so it's just in Ian, for example, my, my co-editor, Ian used to hate Christians. <laughs> Ian used to be a militantly atheist, anti-Christian person. And I'm sure he'll probably tell you this if he's on the podcast. It's that somebody was just very firm with him one time. One time he was having a conversation with a Christian and instead of being very passive, the Christian was just very like, this is what, this is how it is, buddy. (laughs) And Ian didn't like instantly become a Christian, but it at least made him stop and think like that person probably believes what they're saying. So I'm going to at least look into what they have to say, which so many people, they just try to stop bold Christians in their tracks by telling them that there's no way this is going to be appealing. There's no way this is going to be attractive. It's right. just a lie. Right. Well, the, the other, the other word that you will hear is arrogant. Mm-hmm. Um, if you, if you come across as halfway confident in what you're saying, um, then you're arrogant and yeah. you are, uh, and you're narrow minded and you think you're the only, you think you're right and everybody else is wrong. Yeah. Um, yeah, which is just an absorption of a yeah. false modern belief that you can't know that things are true. Like right. we know that things are true. What I'm telling you is from God. <laughs> so God, you know, and I'm not just I'm not saying like I had an experiential thing. Right. Here's my my message from God. I'm telling you what is recorded in God's word that, you know, has stood the test of time. Right. So I get like yeah, so Christians who who sort of shy away from this idea that we can't that we can know what's true are just parroting postmodern ideas right know? it's not they, but they but they're doing it uh in the name of compassion and inclusivity yeah. they're doing yeah. it it's we they've been doing it for a long time and we've been we've been denying christ well, since the beginning, I think uh, I think Peter was the first one to show us how to do that. Um, <laughs> well, and think about it. Why did Peter do it? Peter was scared. He was afraid. Peter yeah. was afraid of. He he felt social pressure to do it. Right. And that's why people do it now. You right. know, they they can say it's because they're compassionate. They can say it's because they want to be inclusive. The reality is they don't want people to not like them or they don't want to be mobbed on social media. They don't want to lose opportunities. That is what it comes down to. It's not a matter of compassion or inclusivity. That's what it is, but we don't, but but they don't acknowledge it. And you're mean if you say that that's the reason for it. Mm -hmm. But Peter's reaction was when he heard the rooster crow, he went and wept. Yeah. Now we pat each other on the back for being, uh, for keeping the conversation open. Yes. Uh, and for keeping yes. the dialogue exactly. going, and that makes yes. us good people, um, right? No, there should be a lot more, a lot more weeping. I kind of had that moment um, in pre two twenty eighteen. Um, I when I was really immersed in academia, was very much a Peter, very much like loved Jesus, but simultaneously was very afraid to ever really take a strong stance. I would kind of try here and there. Um, but just, just afraid. I didn't want to, I thought I was entertaining the idea of staying in academia. I wanted a book deal, you know, all these things. So I was very, was just very fearful, um, fearful, timid little Christian. And after I had my daughter is when I really had sort of this epiphany of like, do I want her to be like this? Like, I want her to love Jesus, but do I want her to constantly be worried what everyone's going to say and for her to hide and for her to distort? 
And that was just what I really realized. I was like, wow, I need to repent. Like I have spent a long time being this way. And if I'm going to show her how to do this, and if I'm going to show other people how to do this, I have to stop doing it. You know, I have to have that Peter moment of going and repenting for being afraid of man instead of being afraid of God. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, and the church just really, really lacks that. Like you said, we've created a nice little nice little cyclical way of not getting to that point right. where true repentance happens and then stepping out. And then, you know, people get upset that they don't really see God move. Right. And it's like, well, <laughs> right. well I mean, <laughs> you won't say what's true. You won't even, you know, like, what do you expect? Well, the instant the Holy Spirit starts to move, it's going to offend almost everybody in the room. <laughs> and <laughs> then you're going to shut it down. So yeah. that's the reason God's not moving. Yeah. Because you can't. Yeah. You can't hack it. Yep. Yep. If you had a, uh, um, you know, if you had a chance to have a conversation with some of these people, um, as you alluded to earlier, you know, people understand who you are. They know your motives. They know that you're, that you're not really a sinister, uh, you know, villain from a yeah. comic book. <laughs> or am I? No, yeah. Or <laughs> wherever. Uh, Carmen San Diego. <laughs> that is. That is another point that I think is really crucial, and I think that the church is uh, is, is doing a really bad job of um, of affording people the benefit of a doubt. Yeah, uh, and I think it, I think there's two facets to it. The first one is that we tend to forget that we, except for Jesus, are not any better than those people that we are pointing our finger at and condemning and calling them evil and dark and Christian and unchristians and sinners and all that sort of stuff. We're, we're not, we're not different from them except for Jesus. Um, and, and two, um, we are, uh, we are then reluctant to, uh, to call them out for the things that we know are eventually going to kill them. Mm-hmm. Or at least we say that we believe that they're eventually going to kill them. We won't call them out for that because what you just said, it's we're afraid that then they're going to turn around and accuse us of judging and, uh, and condemning them when we're not perfect ourselves. You know, you know, you're not perfect either. And so it's a legitimate fear. Um, but I think... I think the boldness, I think the, the, the confidence, if you truly believe that what you have is the truth, then, then you should be able to stand up and say, well, I think this is the truth. I'm sorry. I'm sorry if that upsets you, but I think it's the truth. Yeah. yeah. I was uh, doing a seminar in a, at a comedy conference a couple of years ago uh, for Christian comics, and we were talking about um, – proclaiming the gospel we were talking about the, the how how you can be sarcastic and satirical and, and proclaim the gospel at the same time because it's problematic for some people and this topic this is what i was talking about i said you've got to believe that what you're saying is a truth and if you do then as that's what comedy is comedy is exaggeration comedy is taking it completely over the top to make a point and uh, I told him a story about a, a guy I was talking to at a bar one night. And he said, so you think you're better than me because you're a Christian? And I said, absolutely, I'm better than you. <laughs> absolutely, I'm better than you. I, I have the approval 
of the creator of the universe now you don't have that I just, <laughs> you're you're still you're still at war with the person that made you that's not that's not smart um so yeah i'm better than you and i said what's the point in becoming a christian i was talking to the comics here i said what's the point in being a christian if it doesn't make you better than you were before yeah yeah so you know but we're but we're afraid to say that because it's offensive yeah yeah well and i think again in a lot of it is christians do not realize how beholden they are to assumptions and values that are not christian you know like like many christians right. have a hard time like you said coming down on that in asserting absolute truth that yes if you are a christian you do have it better. You are right. Like, you know, like it is like yeah. those, those things are hard to say. Um, but that's not that reluctance to do that. Isn't a, isn't a, a, a Christ-like quality, like as much as people would like to sort of right. act like it was, I mean, Jesus was that's very clear, like, you know, about what's at stake, the choice you have to make that he is the way, he's the truth, he's the life. It's not up for discussion. It's not up for debate. It, there's not maybe like, you know, a better way or a better truth like it's it's done and so that right. you're right that that sort of the fact that christians struggle with that just shows they don't understand their christian identity they're not they're not approaching it with the right values the right assumptions about reality um and just to kind of you know what you were saying is of using satire and uh exaggeration and mockery Jesus did all those things. There's plenty yeah. of examples of Jesus using really exaggerated examples to prove his point. Like, you know, um, when he talks about taking that log out of your eye, that image would have been very like, I mean, obviously he's not, he's not being very gentle about it. He's not saying like, be very, be very balanced and careful in how you, you know, he's saying you, when you are, Going, going to approach someone and criticize them, you better know that you are not being hypocritical. Like you should have some understanding. You should have enough self-awareness that you are not going to go over there and try to rip a little speck out of their eye while you have a giant log in your eye. I mean, that's, that's, a, I mean, it doesn't sound funny to us because it's not how we talk, but that would have been, that would have been funny. Like people would have thought like, wow, he's being really, you know, Verbose yep. or something. Um, that is first century comedy, right yeah. there. Yeah. Well, and I just think I don't know. There's so much false humility. False humility is very trendy. False humility is very easy, but real self-examination um, is much harder and much more painful. Your book talks about that. You know, in order in order to be funny, in order to notice funny things, you have to be honest with yourself about. Right your shortcomings. And many people like to say that that's what they're doing when they kind of shut down the bold speech that we're talking about here. But very often it's that they don't want to engage in self-examination. It's that they're, they're not, they're not really being humble. It's that don't, don't tell me something's wrong with me and I won't tell you something's wrong with you. And that way we can just kind of stay in this little place where none, neither one of us really has to be humble. Neither one of us really has to change. Right. It's just, it's very, it's very stifling to the conversation. Well, we pretend we're united 
we pretend mm-hmm. that we're that we're all yeah. getting along here. We're all friends with each other. Yes. Um, and we're not. We haven't really even talked to each other. We don't even really know who each other is. Uh, well, and it's it's very disingenuous because, yeah. like you said, we kind of pretend like we're united. But I would make the argument that the 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 politically correct folks um, very much do judge other people. Like they will tell oh, me yeah. not to judge. They will tell me that I'm being I'm being judgmental. I'm being unfair i am doing all these things they will lay criticism at my feet but if right. i try to do that right i am told you know what i mean and so it's like it's very it's a false thing it's a false thing where they say don't judge christianity is about not judging right. they're judging me <laughs> they're judging we're we are judging each other right. <laughs> like that is it, it no. not judging can't mean that we don't we don't push back on one another like judgment is part of discerning coming to conclusions and acting right. accordingly. So the social justice people just have a, have figured out how to use it better than have figured out how to manipulate the idea. Right. Well, that's a great point. My daughter pointed out a couple of years ago during a conversation that uh, when people say don't judge, what they mean is don't criticize because they're perfectly happy to let you lavish praise you know, and accolades upon them, which also requires judgment. You know, I can't tell you you're doing a good job until I render judgment. And so it's only a one-sided thing that they mean. When they say, don't judge me, they mean, don't criticize me. And and that's what keeps them very immature in their their personal growth. Well, Uh, and I think at some point, people who don't notice that will eventually notice it. Like, I'll just give a personal example. Someone close to me used to be part of a very vague sort of I won't even I mean it's a it's a type of is a a new age belief system where basically you know everyone is good everyone is full of light everyone is we're all sparks yes we all need to we're just we're just we're just good and when we don't act good we just need to remember that we're good that sort of thing right and this person pointed out to me that these people would act like that and say that and ascribe that to themselves and to one another. But you get them talking about Donald Trump. You get them talking right. about a particular group that they're not fond of. You get them talking about a person and it goes away, right. <laughs> you know, and it's kind of like, that just, that's the mask slipping of like this sort of love and light. Don't judge does not mean, does not mean what people want it to mean because obviously, like you said, we have to make judgments and we do all the time. So right. it's just whether or not your judgment's right or wrong. That is, that is an excellent point. Um, <laughs> I, I, was, I was thinking about the, the people, are, people in the church will acknowledge their flaws in general terms. Everybody, mm. everybody is quick to say, well, I'm not perfect, you know, and I need grace, and I'm a sinner that Jesus died, his blood covers my sins. We'll, we'll talk about that in generally, but we will not address it specifically. Yeah. We won't say, well, specifically what sin is Jesus covered for you and they're like well that's personal (laughs) we've even we've even got unspoken prayer requests now that we will you know people can come forward and say well pray for me for this unspoken prayer request i'm like i i won't do it i've told people look if you don't trust me with whatever it is then you just keep it but it's dumb it's dumb to to 
think that we're somehow bearing one another's burdens when I don't even know what it is that I'm, yeah, I'm yeah. carrying. Well, and I feel like it's sort of, I mean, I think it, it suggests when people do that, like only ever addressing sin in a very generalized way, it, it suggests holding on to the belief that you're not that bad right. to me. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, I think people use it to try to quickly, you know, be like, oh, I know I'm a sinner. But like the reason that I am outspoken about what I'm outspoken about is because I know how bad I am and how bad I can be. Like I have seen myself through different stages of being a Christian. I know how, how disingenuous I can be. I know how hypocritical I can be. I know how tempted I can be. And that is why I'm unwilling to just sort of pretend like, you know, well, as long as we all just, you know, as long as, you know, you worship in your way and I worship in my way, you know, I'm not okay with that. That has not done any, that has not done me any favors as a young woman growing up. That is, that doesn't do anybody any favors. So being honest with yourself about the depths of your sin and how bad it really is. I think, you know, actually compels people to, I mean, I think it frees you up to offer criticism in a, in a way that people that actually can receive more. I mean, I don't know. I, I know people don't like it, but I feel like if someone at least understands where I'm coming from in that way, that should, in theory, we should be able you know, to, to, have a more productive approach to our sin. So I think, I don't know. I think the, the, there's a lot of hiding. There's a lot of keeping it very surface level. Right. Right. And I think that doing that actually uh, contributes to uh, this thing that I call the sanitization of sin, uh, which Mm -hmm. we've done in church. There are certain topics that are so, uh, so disgusting and so dark and so vile and repulsive that uh, that we can't even talk about them in polite church company. And so the word sin has taken on, it, it doesn't mean anything anymore. It's a, it's a mild, it's a mild offense now. And we go, well, we're all sinners, aren't we? Aren't we all sinners? And and we've forgotten that sin is the thing that killed Jesus. That's that's how serious it is. And now we are uh, we we won't even use four letter words in our language because that you know we we won't use four letter words to refer to sin. Um, mm. And they did in the scripture. You yeah. know the the, uh, the Greek and Hebrew is is pretty salty in places. When they're because they're talking about real evil and yeah. sin and yeah. darkness and the, yeah. and the most vile words should be reserved for the most vile despicable thing, um, yeah. and we don't we don't do that anymore. So we're, we have we we've thrown all of that language out and sanitized the idea of sin to where now we've got a, a church full of people who don't even really believe that they are sinners, you know. Yeah. Because they're not as bad as Donald Trump, for example. <laughs> yeah, you know, and, right. and that's a very good example. Well, Donald yeah. Trump has been has been for me. He's been a tremendous opportunity to talk about sin and to, to with people who are outside the church. I've I've had more conversations with pagans because of Donald Trump 
<laughs> than I ever had with Barack Obama. Yeah. Um, because Barack Obama was considered to be a good guy. He was mm -hmm. a guy with no, there was nothing on him. There was nothing about him that could be criticized. And so you couldn't have a conversation when Barack Obama was in office because I was the bad guy when Barack uh, Obama yes. was in office. Yes, you know, that's a good point. I was well, the closed-minded, narrow Christian person who was full of hate. And, you know, I hated gay people and I hate, I hate everybody that's different from me. I hate black people. I hate all these people because I'm a Christian and that's what it means. And so Barack Obama's in office. I can't talk. Donald Trump's in office and suddenly he is the devil himself, <laughs> you know? And so all of these, all of these pagan people who don't even believe, they don't even identify themselves as Christians. They're accusing Donald Trump of not being Christian. And so it's been, it's been fantastic. I've had so many conversations with non-Christians who are, who are talking about how Donald Trump is not a Christian. And I'm like, well, what is a Christian? Well, Christians does this and this and this and this. So that would be a good thing. Yeah, well, that would be a good thing. Well, then why aren't you a Christian? <laughs> That's a good, good lead in. Yeah. You know, if you expect Donald Trump to be a Christian, why aren't you a Christian? Um, <laughs> yeah. That's all. That's very, that's a very good point. You know, I think on the topic of Donald Trump, like you said, he's definitely opened a lot of conversations about, mm -hmm. you know, well, and again, I think it's, there's some insincerity at play. Many times people try to sort of like attach Christians to Donald Trump in a way right. that Christians aren't actually attached to Donald Trump. Like, you right. know, like many Christians voted for him, but it's, and probably will again, but it's not because he's a Christian. It's right. not because we think, right. not because we're like, oh yes, what an excellent moral example to all of us. It's because we recognize what's at stake. We recognize the options. Like, you know, it's, it's doing the best with what you have. Um, but something to be said for Donald Trump that maybe is controversial. I don't know. You've probably gathered. I don't care. Um, is <laughs> he is, he feels comfortable being an antagonist yeah. and not always in a good way. I won't say that he's always, right. his antagonism is always well done or, or, or fair or whatever, but sometimes right. it is fair. Sometimes it is, it is calling out something that is true. Sometimes it is an a accurate spotlight on what other people are doing um, that is wrong. And I think that is a quality that Christian leaders should get comfortable having. I think obviously we live in a sinful world. Like we live with people who are totally opposed to what God has to say. If they don't see you as antagonistic, then you are not doing something right, right. you know? And so I think one thing that Donald Trump, that he has done successfully is show that there is some merit in being willing to be sort of a villain, a villain. And, and sometimes, you know, like I said, sometimes it's good, sometimes it's bad, but I think Christians should get comfortable with the idea that to an evil world, we are going to look like the villains. Right. And we might as well embrace being super fabulous, confident villains because we have right. the truth. <laughs> so, right. That's well, you're, but you're you're speaking a foreign language to a lot of Christians right now. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, they're probably like. Oh I, I'm trying. We're saying that we're supposed to be villains. <laughs> one of the one of the most controversial things that I said in my church. Occasionally, they're foolish enough to let me speak and hold a microphone at church. And I got up and did a uh, 
did a little meditation before we had communion. And I said, you, uh, I, I said, we, we forget sometimes that, um, that Jesus' death on the cross was not a glorious and heroic death. He died a criminal. As far as, as far as the world was concerned, even some of his closest followers were confused about what was going on. Jesus died all by himself as a wretched criminal. I mean, he wasn't, we're looking back at it now after a couple of millenniums and with, and with the New Testament, you know, to, to bear witness to what was actually going on. But at the time, he was a straight up criminal. He was the most despicable, horrific person that you can think of. Think of the worst, the most vile criminal, Charles Manson, to pick your favorite criminal. That was Jesus. Um, and so that's who we are following today. Yeah. yeah. You know, we are, we are following, we are following a, a criminal as far as the world is is concerned. concerned right from where they're standing that's what it looks like yeah and it's it's no different you know there are people now who who will acknowledge that jesus was a quote good teacher and he was a good man but that's as far as they'll go well then right. you ask them why aren't you a christian well i just because they haven't thought about it you know they they're yeah. they're virtue signaling and all that sort of stuff right but i agree with you 100 percent. part of and this is the detestable part of christianity is being misunderstood. Mm-hmm. You, if you're if you're doing it correctly, as you said, everybody's going to be mad at you yeah. um, because yeah. because most people don't stand up for their convictions. Most yeah. people most people will sway back and forth mm-hmm. uh, like Peter did in order yeah. to in order to appease the people in the immediate vicinity. And right. if you stand up for convictions, that's what Jesus did, and that's mm-hmm. what got him killed. Yeah. Well, and you know. <sighs> The hard thing that most people will not admit is they want, they say they like Jesus. They say they think he's a good person, but truthfully they don't because Jesus brings something to our attention that is very upsetting. And that is that you are a sinner. You are, you are completely unable to make yourself good enough to be in the presence of God. You are not a good person. Like, you know, it is, it is, Jesus brings brings that right into your face. And then he says, I can save you. I want to save you. It's there. The option is there for you, but you have to, you have to recognize this about yourself. And then you have to submit to God. Like in those, that, that combination, um, that's why people, won't do it. You know, that's why they stay with, right. he's a good person. We should try to follow his example in some ambiguous, weird way, not right. specific, but to be a Christian means you have to recognize that you are a sinner, that everyone is a sinner. Um, and I mean, it shapes your whole worldview in a totally different way. I mean, if you see what's going on right now in the world, people are demanding justice and they clearly have no idea what it means. Like they don't right. justice, you know, it's being defined in this strange like you know maybe they have some idea of what it means but then their reaction for getting it is very strange or people are right. it's just justice only works if you look at the cross if we consider the fact right. that we are all sinners someone died for us we see mercy extended to us we see how justice can play out and then we ultimately leave justice in the hands of 
God. Of God. You know? Right. And if you can't do that, then it makes sense why you would flail around and, you know. <laughs> and burn buildings and. <laughs> lash and out at. Shoot people. Yeah. yeah. Lash out at people who are trying. Like you said, I mean. You're, you're lashing out at people who don't have the capacity to bring justice to you. You know, you're demanding yep, it from it. the police and from the government and from the teachers or whatever, whatever authority you are striking out against because you're wanting justice. Those people can't give you justice. Yeah, they can't give you perfect justice. Right. I mean, if, if the I mean, obviously, right, we have these expectations. We want them to be met. If, if injustice is brought to our attention and we can address it. Awesome. But if the the utopia is that here on this earth no one is ever going to do something not just to another person i mean it's just if that is cause for us to destroy the world around us yeah i mean that doesn't make sense but i mean of course it doesn't because (laughs) it's based off of a totally it's just you know your feelings or what someone's telling you you deserve or what you don't deserve or it's just this it's a mess, you know, and so Christians, Christians come along and say, you know, justice is standing up for the oppressed. But that also means that you stand up for innocent people who are maybe suffering in the wake of something that they did not do. Um, you know, it's just Christians make things complicated. We are not yes. willing to just say that, you know, you should get to have revenge all the time or you should get, you know, it's just, yeah, I'll leave it at that. Christians (laughs) make things complicated. Well, if you're going to talk about standing up for injustice um, and you raised a good point that it's not just, it's not just the, the widows and orphans and the obviously downtrodden and abused people in our society, but Donald Trump is the recipient of injustice. Uh, Yeah. And and power, powerful people are uh, powerful, rich people are also recipients of injustice. Yeah. And do, are we going? Do we care about that, or do we just are they getting what they deserve? Uh, and it's and it's just certain yeah. certain people we're okay right. with helping them achieve justice, but then there's other people that don't deserve justice. They yeah. uh, they deserve to be uh, abused. Right, which is interesting because, you know, so much of the rhetoric surrounding justice movements is that if there's just injustice anywhere, there's injustice everywhere. Right. And so it's like, yes, <laughs> that is true. And so we cannot think of everything in terms of oppressor and oppressed because sometimes those look different. Those don't look exactly the way that we're told they're going to look. Um, I think a perfect example was the situation with Brett Kavanaugh. That's really what spurred me into talking about politics, to talking about needing to be bold and stick up for truth. It's just the ridiculous idea that because somebody belongs to a victim class, as it's defined right now on May 30th, 2020, who knows what it'll be defined, you know, a year from now. Um, versus somebody who's not that I must automatically assume something about either of those people, you know, and it's, that's just very upsetting. That's not what justice means. That doesn't lead to justice. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's just without 
understanding that everyone is a sinner and that oppression plays itself out in very different ways. It doesn't just look one certain very obvious popular way that people right. like to present it. I mean, this is, this is what you get. Look at our world. This is what you get. So. Right. Right. Well, I think that, that as Christians, our responsibility is to do just what you said and, and remember that everybody is a sinner and that mm-hmm. includes ourselves. Yeah. Um, one of the things that, that we project into culture, either intentionally or unintentionally, I don't know. Um, but we project into culture that once we've become Christians, now um, we are we are perfect. Um, and if the culture responds to us and uh, and tells us that they're not happy with us, that we are in fact not perfect, then mm-hmm. we have anxiety about that because oh my gosh. The culture is misunderstanding me because they're I, I'm I'm coming off as mean or I'm coming off as uh, as judgmental or uh, or unkind or unloving, and so I need to make I need to continue I need to to rev up my act so that I pr- continue to project this loving kindness perfection out there because that's what Christianity is is mm-hmm. professing is professing my own goodness out to the world so that they will be attracted and it's it's so wrong i mean it's it's close to right you can find scripture about how we're supposed to live lives among the pagans that they see our good deeds and they glorify god so there's there's an element of it that's almost right but what we're doing is uh we are attracting people to our church brand we're trying to bring people to our church because of our goodness and our coffee and our great music (laughs) and our uh you know you you belong here with us you could be part of our of our group um and we're we're not bringing people to jesus really we're bringing people to us we are the we are the conduit through which they can come to Jesus. And we think that if we're, if we're spiffy enough and if we're smart enough and if we're loving enough, then we will usher people into Jesus. But at that point, what's, what, what is Jesus going to do for them? They've already, they've, we have already told them that it's all about, uh, it's really all about accepting us. It's really about yeah. accepting Christians and their goodness and their virtue and their, their religion, whatever it is. But it's not about Jesus. Not really. No, I mean, you, the only thing that's going to make someone become a Christian is the recognition of their own sin and the understanding that Jesus can do something about that. So if it's all about projecting how good we are, (laughs) they're not going to figure it out. Like, you know, they're not, they're, they're going to just try to think of ways to justify how they're good. You know, you see it. That's huge. Yeah. See it playing out in just about everywhere. Like I'm trying to think of a, a good example here. I got in a fight with a preacher uh, last year, uh, an internet fight. It wasn't actually fisticuffs. <laughs> I, I would lose that fight. Um, but he was uh, professing that's a long story. Uh, I'll give you the, the Reader's Digest version is that he had a, uh, a member of his staff who, who was sin, caught in sin. And so they, he stepped down. But as he, as he uh, 
stepped down, all of the members of the congregation sort of rallied around him in, in support of an affirmation and raised him up and everything. And I was talking to the preacher and I said, this is not good. I mean, you're going to you're going to have to have a conversation with the rest of the people who are confused about what's going on here, because you can't you can't simultaneously step down and and leave Christianity, which is what he did. I'm turning my back on the faith. Um, and then and and have the church people simultaneously come and support him in that the church cannot support people in leaving the church right, uh, right. The, those things can't happen and so it got it got not not heated but he he didn't we weren't on the same frequency and he said john he said i i believe that we have to t- here at this church we have to teach people that um, that they belong First, we, te- we, we teach people that they belong before we worry about teaching them what to believe or how to behave. And I'm sure that was a three-point sermon that he gave because uh, <laughs> it was just too well alliterated. Yeah. But, it, but the point was that first, we, we bring you into the group. First, we, we make you feel welcome and you belong before we teach you what to believe or how to behave. Yeah. And I said, I said, that's exactly backwards. Yeah. Exactly. And that would, I mean, that, that's what breeds so much dysfunction. Right. If we all come together and the only understanding that we have for the reason for coming together is to be together. Right. That's not, people don't do that. People, people right. become friends with other people and care about other people because they have common interests. Right. It's not, and for Christians, that common interest is Jesus Christ. Like the reason right. that we gather together is because we love him. We want to serve him. We believe that he's going to save us. So that is something that gives us so much room for fellowship and, right. um, you know, working out dysfunction. But if, right. if the whole thing is just come, you know, let's sort of create this vague reason for why we're all here together. And some right. of you think this, some of you think that, and it's okay. And there's no standard. We're just right. like the world. I mean, it's, I say this quite often. Um, the churches that do that are not going to survive. They're getting smaller and smaller and smaller. And churches that are more, um, I mean, the word should be strict, severe. Churches that are more um, serious. I mean, they lay out, this is what we believe. This is what we expect. This is this is what this congregation is about. Those are growing. And the reason for that is yeah. in 2020, if you are a Christian, that gives you no social currency, you know, like you are not, it's not considered a very good thing to be a Christian, like right. maybe in some circles, but in general, I mean, that comes with the assertion, the assumption that you're, maybe you're probably bigoted or you are ignorant or something along those lines. Or both. Um, or yeah. both. Or, you know, you're, you're weird. You're just a weirdo. Right. Um, so people are not, people who many people who identify as Christians, I think it's just a, it's a purification process in the church. People who want to be Christians are, are serious about it versus right. people who are, I think have kind of like skated by and sort of like the, the social aspect of church. That's right. going to, that's just going to continue to fall away. And it's kind of, I mean, it's a good thing, you know, it's, I think it's so too. good that the church is being purified. But it's also, I mean, it's hard to watch. It's painful. It's creating lots of conflict. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's, there's people who think, who don't like that people are becoming 
more committed to the truth, more outspoken about the truth and placing biblical expectations on them and they don't like it. So that's, that causes a little bit of strife. (laughs) Yeah. Well, you said it when you said that everybody, um, recognizing first that they're sinners and that's what's missing in the belong before you believe or behave is that there's no acknowledgement of sin. There's no acknowledgement of your own evil. Um, you first, you come in and just belong with us. And then when you, and the idea, the thinking is that, well, once everybody, once, once they see how, how loving, what a kinship we all have with each other, then we'll be able to reveal the gospel to them. We'll be able to, but it doesn't work that way. You know, you bring people in and it's a bait and switch, but, but no matter, no matter how long you wait to build a relationship with a person, when you finally spring on them, Hey, you know what? You're at war with God. They're going to go, wait, what are you talking about? You told me you, when you brought me in here, you said that, you know, I'm a good person and everybody loves me and all that sort of stuff. What's all this talk now that I'm a, that I'm a villain. It's a, <laughs> you know, where, where's this coming from? Yeah. Um, I'm the yeah. same person today that I was when you invited me in here. Well, um, in a way, I mean, it's such a disservice. I mean, this is what I feel like was kind of robbed of me and my very strange Christian upbringing is I was never really forced to count the cost. Right. And so it made for a lot of conflicts that I, sh- I, I shouldn't have had to deal with, you know, like I should have known going into my right. to be a Christian, not to expect that this was going to be right. easy and not to expect that everyone was going to like me and not to expect, you know, but instead I was like always kind of confused. Like, yeah. why can't I, why can't I think this? And also, you know, you know, why is there this, this weird tension where, I mean, it should have been brought up front to me, like Carmen, this choice is a choice that means people will, some people will hate you. Some people, lots of people will misunderstand you. You will be excluded. You will be slandered. Like, you know, like, and I get why people don't want to say that to people. But I mean, that's the reality that a Christian has to come to terms with. I mean, Jesus himself (laughs) points out you need to count the cost of doing this because right. it's not it's not easy it's not simple it's not you know but i think on the flip side obviously you present that reality with my worst day as a christian has been far better than my best day as a non-christian so you know getting that across is important too like yeah well i hear that i i hear that and i understand what you're saying um the the question that I've answered a number of times, um, and I always do it with with sarcasm because I can't help it, is that is someone will say, "Well, you, you know, you just enjoy your religion. You just you're you've got to you just love that you get to lord it over everybody else. That you're, you know, all of the aspects of Christianity that people people think what Christianity is about. I'm talking about pagan people. Mm-hmm. Um, you know what they think Christianity is about. They, they think that the reason I'm a Christian is because I find the machinations, the, the, the workings of Christianity to be attractive. And mm-hmm. it's like, no, that's not why I'm a Christian. I mean, it's it, the Christianity is super hard. Um, <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. super hard because right. um, y- y- you've got to admit that you're, that you're not a good person. You've got to admit that you're not smart. You've got to admit that even though you know the way to behave, you still don't behave that way. Uh-huh. Um, you've you've got you've to admit all of this stuff. That Even yeah. the, the instant you get the idea that you're doing a good job, 
now you've got to tamp down your pride and now you've got to give all the credit rightly back to God. It's not really you. And all of this stuff sucks. I mean, the, yeah. the, the idea of living, they're hard. Yeah. <laughs> yeah the living, living a Christian life. And then when you're doing it right, when you're doing it absolutely the correct way, everybody else is going to hate you. I said, there's nothing about this faith that's appealing, you know, from a, from a human perspective. Right. Right. And then, of course, and then I usually leave it at that and see if they'll ask, well, then why are you a Christian? Uh, and sometimes they do and sometimes they don't. But then they say, well, then why are you doing it? Then I get to say, well, because it's true. Yeah. And that's all I care about. If right. it's, you know, if the truth is hard, so be it. You know, I got to go with the yeah. truth. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. And so many people... They don't even, they can't even get to that place. I was just having a, a little, like you kind of said, like a little online spat with somebody. And you could just tell her underlying belief is that if it makes you feel uncomfortable, it must not be true or it must not be good. And it's just like, where does that come from? So many things that make us uncomfortable are true. Like you, you just look at that and in life, like, I mean, any form of self-discipline, like we all know that self-discipline is good to a certain degree, but it's not comfortable. It's not easy. Like who, who really, who would argue that, you know, taking time for exercising and certain positive practices is, I mean, those, those are uncomfortable. So maybe we shouldn't do them. Like, you know, it's just this bizarre belief about truth and your feelings and postmodernism confusing the heck out of everybody. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, uh, the, uh, the church's response. And I guess this is the reason that I was, um, so drawn to what you guys are, are doing there, um, is, is equipping, um, regular run of the mill uh christian people not not superstars not celebrities not um not bible college graduates of which i am one so i'm not throwing oh. bible college people under the wow. well but it doesn't matter that's my point the, yeah. the, my uh, the, the bible degree is something i rarely talk about because because it it puts me up here with some people i've got a guy in my bible study who uh, who's a dentist for crying out loud. And he is always going, well, you're the one that's been to Bible college. What do you think about this? And I'll, and I'll defer to you. And I keep saying, dude, it's not about formal training. You know, it's about, it's about getting in and wrestling with your faith and understanding, talking to God about it and talking to other wise people about it. It's not just, it's not just a degree. And my degree doesn't put any more responsibility to profess my faith and understand my faith than what you have. Just because you didn't go to Bible college doesn't mean that you're exempt from understanding what you believe. And we just have a lot of church people who are ill-equipped to articulate their own faith. Mm -hmm. And that's, we've, we've spent, I grew up in church um, learning that that quote sharing your faith or witnessing to people was a was a checklist a set of of practices that was totally separate from the rest of your life you know you went to learn how to share your faith mm. 
and it was a separate thing from your actual life. You know, it was a thing you learned how to do um, d- different. And it yeah. didn't it didn't occur to me until I got to college, and I started reading C.S. Lewis, and and I started to and theology started to make sense to me when I was reading C.S. Lewis, and it's like, oh, I I didn't all of the things that that I had been saying about. Christianity were platitudes. They were like things that I'd read from fortune cookies, that little, you know what I mean? Little lines mm-hmm. that I could say, but I didn't really understand what they meant. Yeah. And once I started to read C.S. Lewis, then it was like, okay, I, I think I'm actually kind of understanding some things for the first time. Yeah. yeah. Then, then you, then you have the power to say it uh, the way, the way you know it. You know, it's different from when you learn to wit. When you learn to witness, you're regurgitating lines. You're you're reciting a script that you've learned. But when you actually understand your faith, you don't have to memorize anything. Now you just speak what you believe, yeah. and that's what is missing in so many Christians' lives. The reason they can't witness, the reason they can't share their faith, is because they don't know what their faith is. Yeah, that's a very good point. I think that's very true. Yeah. Um, a big mission of Stasios is, is to address that, um, that sort of what are these foundational truths that are getting lost in sort of the, the noise of, I don't even know what to call it, like trendy Christianity, you know, like the, there's a version of Christianity I think we've talked about where it's just, it's very much all about you. It's about how you feel. And a lot of people take cues from that. That's probably the most popular um, approach and the most popular understanding that people have to Christianity. Then you have the hostile view, people who think it's very bad and harmful and this and that. And then there in the middle, there are Christians who are dead dedicated they do want to know the truth and speak the truth and live the truth but they just maybe don't know how to do it because there's not very much <laughs> because they don't because they don't know the truth yeah, yeah. and so <laughs> stasios we're trying to be there to exist to say like look here it is we're not going to sugarcoat it in this weird way that you're getting on one side we're not going to really care that much about this really hostile force that's trying that's telling us we shouldn't say these things we're just putting it out there we are and we're doing it in a way that hopefully we hope people will emulate um neither ian nor i are um ian is very brave um i'm getting braver it's kind of a funny story of how we met we both went to college together back in the day and ian was already like writing really controversial op-eds in the college newspaper and he was doing all these different things and I was very much like my little my little scared self trying to sort of to be a Christian but not stir the pot and he asked me when we were in college if I would write for the newspaper because he knew I was a writer and I was like oh no I can't I'm I could get in trouble (laughs) you know that was sort of my response and then we just kind of went our separate ways he went to law school I did my thing here you know finished my degrees, got married. Um, and then we met randomly again, seven years later, and I was finally ready to be brave. Right. <laughs> so that is sort right. of what, you know, I hope Stacios maybe, yeah, hopefully it doesn't take seven years for other people, but just kind of starts providing that little nudge, that, that little piece of information that maybe someone needs, that encouragement to 
know that they can know what is true. Like they don't have to pretend that there's no absolute truth or whatever. They don't have to right. adopt weird postmodern standards of reality. They can know what is true. They can assert what is true. They can take it to the bank. They can enjoy the truth. But like you said, I mean, it's going to be, but they should simultaneously expect some difficulty. <laughs> like we want to prepare people right. for that too. Um, right. So that's kind of, I guess if we're calling it a ministry. That's what we're trying to do over the, at Stacey Dose. The, uh, the pass passivity was mm-hmm. a thing that resonated with me too. Um, because I'm, I, if I have a soapbox, it's that, that Christians, uh, just need to need to understand that the reason that the the scripture is def, uh, defined as the armor of God, you know, and and why why the why we, scripture talks about putting on the armor of God is because you're going to go to battle, and there are a number of people who seem to think that you're just supposed to put on armor and then sit around in Bible studies and and discuss stuff, um, but passivity is. Uh, it is not found anywhere in uh, either the old or the new Testament. The yeah. there's, there's nothing virtuous about, about getting along with people. And that seems to be the goal of yeah. a lot of Christian people is to yeah. get along with yeah. people. Um, and we're not called to do that. We're called yeah. to, we're called to love them. Um, yeah. But that doesn't necessarily mean you're going to get along with them. The reason that you won't get along with them is because you love them. (laughs) The reason you will make them mad is because you do love them. I could lie to your face and tell you that everything's going to be fine. And if I do that, it's because I don't love you. It's because I don't care what happens to you. And that's what a lot of Christians don't realize that they're doing. Like they don't actually care or maybe they care, but they care a lot more about maintaining a sort of, you know, a piece, a piece, right. uh, a false piece that they're not going to encounter any conflict. They're not going to encounter any confrontation. Right. They're also not being loving. And that is what we are commanded <laughs> to do. They're not loving God and they're not being loving. So are you being a Christian? <laughs> the question is. Well, you have, you have two kids, you have two girls. Um, yes. I assume that you're crazy about them. I assume you love them. Yes. Uh, I'll bet you don't get along with them all the time. <laughs> oh, no. No, I don't. And um, I, the reason that I am hard on Vivian, my two-year-old, is because I love her. I don't want to raise another annoying person to fill the world. <laughs> I love her, and I want her to have the the best capability for dealing with life. And that that is why, you know. That is why we we butt heads, and yep. I love my husband. That is why he doesn't like everything I have to say, <laughs> and vice versa. Um, yeah, it's just this. It's the and the, I like what you said about armor, and you know, like you said, there are so many people who put on the armor and they're not willing to go to battle. But then we also have people who put on the armor and then fight the world's battles. Like they love. They love to take little bits of what is in the Bible, but apply it to causes that are not, that are popular. They're just, that's all they are. They're not good. They're not rooted in truth. They're just trendy. They're just what is easy. And that is, I think, possibly even more egregious than the active people. 
Um, so right. At least the passive people are staying out of everybody's way. Exactly. That's kind of what I think. Like I can, I would much rather work on equipping a passive person because at least I'm probably working with somebody who, you know, maybe they're just on the fence. They're not like they, they're not, they haven't given themselves over to the approval of other people, but there right. are lots of Christians who are just taking Christianese and using it to fight the world's battles. Right. And I think that is pretty, that's probably one of the biggest shames of our current time. I mean, I'm sure it's happened throughout history, but I just see it happening on an increasing level. I feel like, right. um, well, we have the internet now we have the internet now. So <laughs> it, everybody, it used to be that idiots couldn't spread their, their idiocy, yeah, you know, more than, yeah, 20, 20 miles from their house, roughly, you know, however far you can get on a horse. Yeah. Yep. I think that that's true. The and internet. then we've gradually been able to communicate more effectively. And now every moron with a computer can spew this stuff out into the, into the internet and we and all of the other morons who don't have discernment and don't have any connection to truth, uh, steeped in relativism and postmodernism, and they just uh, it all they all feed off yeah. of each other. Yeah. Um, yeah. The and, question. Oh, go ahead. No, I, I was just gonna say the question I always like to ask because you know I I get in little spats with more I guess progressive Christians what uh -huh. they call themselves um, and. If I point out, if I say, isn't it weird that the only issues you're willing to speak out about are the ones that aren't going to be an issue? Like you're going to speak out against racial injustice or you're going right. to speak out against um, misogyny. Right. And that's good. I mean, you should, but. Oppression. We nobody, shouldn't oppress people. Nobody is going to be mad at you for that. Right. No one is going to be like, oh, no, misogyny is actually a good thing or whatever. Right. Like, there's not going to be any kind of right. there's not be any conflict. So isn't it weird that <laughs> right. those are the only issues that you are willing to talk about? And, you right. know, their thing is like they're very quick. Like, oh, well, I can't address all the issues or whatever. And it's just like, no, that should be a litmus test to you of your own heart that right. if you are unwilling to say things that. I mean, there's a whole range of issues that require our attention right. as Christians. And if the only ones you're ever willing to talk about are the ones that will never, ever make anyone mad, then chances are you are not really doing it to the glory of God. You're doing it to the glory of yourself. So that's right. just a measurement that I found helpful. It's, it, well, and it's very profound. Um, I, I have made, I've made jokes uh, about, that about the people all finally someone is standing up against uh injustice you know finally someone is taking a bold stand against cold-blooded murder it's about time you know that we've we've allowed cold-blooded murderers to go unchecked and uh, and uncriticized for all these generations finally you good soul that you are are standing up and saying that we shouldn't kill people we shouldn't kill innocent people for no reason um right. And yeah, but but it's all that. It's it's you're exactly right. The people who are who are standing up and they're outraged by things that everybody is outraged about. Yeah, and they and, create a straw man of you right. know. There's all this opposition that disagrees with them, but that doesn't exist. But if right. you actually if you wade into the waters of 
sexuality, if you wade into the waters of abortion, there is very real and actual opposition to the Christian perspective. But interestingly, those people are typically quite silent on those things. They're quite silent. And then we're right back where we started. They're silent on those things. And then they are better and more noble than you because they just don't say anything. And so they, they are living at peace. Uh, with everybody. They're not being divisive. Right. They're not being divisive. They're not creating division. Um, And uh, it was interesting. It's like, okay, so you're not creating division because you won't talk about abortion, but are you not creating division when you, you do what you just described, you create this whole false narrative that there are all these Christians that support cold-blooded unjust murder of an of a person like you know it's like that is so divisive (laughs) that is so incredibly divisive to to create this picture where something that is so easy to condemn and you pretend like there are people who aren't condemning it but that is like a playbook that they love because it makes you feel good makes you feel uh, actually wrestling with the issues at hand is much more difficult yeah well, and you're, and you're misidentifying the enemy too. You're making, yeah. you're making me the enemy. You know, I'm, I'm the bad guy because I'm not speaking up like you are against, uh, you know, murder, for example. I haven't, I haven't stood up and boldly renounced murder. And it's like, I don't need to. Everybody on the planet who's sane is against murder. <laughs> everybody. Um, but no, because I didn't say it the way you said it. I am now the bad guy. and and uh, you know, my, my silence is, means that I'm complicit, mm-hmm. you know, and it's, it's, it's how we, it's how we, we're not creating these rifts. These rifts are already here. Mm-hmm. All, all we're doing is shining a light on them. It's like, you see this right. division? It's like, well, you're creating, you're being divisive. I'm not. There's, there's already a giant chasm. Right. Between I'm just us. showing you where it is. Well, and I think, um, one passage of scripture that I thought maybe I should address here that I thought maybe you would, you would appreciate. I'd, I'd just be curious on your thoughts on it. Um, you know, what we're describing here is sort of this, this very cheap and false kind of virtue um, that people love. And sadly, many, many self, Oh gosh, sorry. My phone's talking to me. Stop it. Um, very cheap kind of easy virtue that lots of Christians love. Um, but let me find it here. Sorry. No problem. Read it right. I wish I had it memorized, but I'm not that awesome. Um, shoot. Let me find it here. Hopefully you have good editing skills. It's all right. I have the, the, uh, the way that our podcast works is I literally turn the thing on and we just have a conversation and the kids, <laughs> oh, great. the kids come in. A lot of times I do it at Mandy's house at my daughter's house and kids come in and they interrupt us. And we've had, uh, we've had, uh, my grandson, uh, did his first poop in the potty during a podcast once right there in the kitchen. Uh, commemorated it. Yeah, we've, we've had to break up fights. We've had uh, storms. We've had wow. things break. Yeah. So we you, don't, so you know, you know what it's like. Well, basically I was just going to say Matthew 23 more and more speaks to me. It's the seven woes to the scribes and Pharisees. Um, and I can just kind of do the paraphrase version, but you know, it's, Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. 
So do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works they do. Or they preach, but they do not, but do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear. They lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. They do all their deeds to be seen by others, for they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long, and they love the place of honor at feasts and the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by others. But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher, you are all brothers." Basically, the point that I think is so interesting there that is lost on a lot of people is I think people hear that passage and they automatically see in their minds a certain type of Christian as the Pharisee. And usually it's probably Christians like me and you. It's people who hold to biblical standards. It's people who have some expectation for what is right, and what's true, and they think that we are putting heavy burdens on people. I think that's what a lot of people think. Yeah. but I think the truth is if we stop and we consider what what is happening, at least in our current cultural moment, is the people who put heavy burdens on one another and who love to be seen by one another, who love the best, the, the accolades and the praise, are people who are doing what we are describing. It's the people who are so willing to hang out on the surface level easy stuff that will get them praised, but unwilling to get to the deeper issue. Because what what puts a bigger burden on, on, on a person, right? Like you were just describing, there's a common thing now that people are saying, if you do not speak out against injustice, you are complicit. Right. So if I don't speak out against every injustice, I am somehow, I am implicated in that in that injustice, like that is an insane burden. That is crazy what you've just put on me. Um, but it's, it sounds good. It makes you feel better. It, it sounds like you are really caring more. And so I just think when people read scripture, it's important to question some of the assumptions that postmodernism has put on us. And I think that that's to assume that more conservative people, orthodox people, people with actual understanding of the Bible, who care about the Bible, who defend the Bible, are automatically the Pharisees. Right. I think very often the Pharisees look very trendy, they look very cool, they look very nice, but the reality is they are putting burdens on you that you cannot bear, and they are not giving you any kind of answer that will ever suffice when it comes down to it. So I that's think, just something I thought was important. I think that's a great point. Um, I hadn't thought about that in that light before, but uh, I think what you're saying is that Pharisees don't necessarily have to be religious people anymore. And and we have, and I totally agree with that, that, but we have this kind of old school vision of, well, if it's a, if it's a religious person, they use religious language and they talk about, and they talk about Christian things. That's a Pharisee. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not possible to be a Pharisee unless you first identify as a religious person. And I, I reject that. I think that there are, I think there's a lot of Pharisees out there who. Um, they just made up their own religions. They made they're up their own religions. They're not concerned with the Christian right. religion, but they have their own and they're very strict about it. And if you do not follow it, there's hell to pay. <laughs> that's just like any good Pharisee, right? Well, and that's it. They, they, have, uh, they have their own religion. Um, and you are supposed to abide by their religious, their religious convictions, um, or else you're a bad person. Yeah. Yeah. And it is, 
it's unbelievably difficult. And as you pointed out, or as the scripture pointed out in Matthew, that they don't follow their own rules either. That those rules apply just to you and me. They don't apply to the people who are telling us um, how we need to be. That, that's what the, the, the global, you know, the global war, warming thing or the, or the conservation of uh, the ecology, all of these green earth people you know, jetting around in planes, telling us that we need to reduce our carbon footprint. It's just, it's astounding. Um, and then when, you know, when a person comes along and notices that hypocrisy and points it out, well, then the, then the Christian people are going to say, gosh, gosh, John, uh, that was so sharp and so acerbic the way you said it. You're pushing those people away from the truth. Oh. Yep, and I, yep. And yep. you're just like, well, no, I mean, so be who, it. Who else was sharp and acerbic sometimes? His name was Jesus, and that's who well, we follow. You know, like I, I have, I, I, I fear. I don't fear. I'm, I'm constantly thinking about making making that connection. Because we're supposed to be imitators of Christ. That's what, it, and and the the apostles repeated it. You know, you imitate me, follow me as I follow Christ. So there's this very much this attitude of look to good role models and be like that role model. But now, when you say that in church, um, the theology is so wiggity whack now. And when I say, well, this I'm doing this because this is what Jesus would do. Oh, you think you're like Jesus? So you think you're like Jesus? It's like, no, would you read your New Testament, please? And, and get off my back. Yeah. If yeah. you're, if, if uh, Jesus was, um, as you said, he was funny and he was witty. And I think, I think he was probably a pretty good hang uh, because he had a lot of people around him all the time. Um, so yep. for Something about him made people want to hang out with him. Yeah. And, oh yeah. Well. Oh no. Go ahead. Well, and I think that the the for for me, um, I like to be around funny people. Um, mm. I've always been drawn to people who are who are funny, and oh, yeah. they're they're sarcastic and they're satirical and they're brutal. Yeah. Um, you, you know, can laugh with someone, you can be friends with someone. You know what I mean? Like that's the quick, that's like one of the fastest tracks to a common bond is finding similar things funny. So right. I think it's definitely like a very natural human thing. God made us to have senses of humor. Um, and to just get to a point you kind of alluded to is yes, usually people, if you are, if you are veering into aspects of Jesus's character that include sarcasm or bite or criticism or different things that Jesus did, they're quick to say, oh, you need to be like Jesus, Jesus. And when I, when they say that, they mean like, nice Jesus, sweet Jesus. And like, yes, there are aspects, we see Jesus in the scripture being very kind and gentle sometimes. And we, so we should emulate that. But if we are supposed to emulate that, we should emulate the other parts of Jesus too. And they're both hard. People act like, you know, to act like Jesus is hard. <laughs> it's not like it's, it's to be kind in the way that Jesus was kind. It's not going to come very naturally to you. Similarly, yeah. it's going to take some finesse to learn how to 
employ sarcasm and wit in a way that isn't sinful. Um, But that doesn't mean that we don't do it just because it's difficult or just because people do it wrong. doesn't mean that Christians should just pretend that Jesus was this one-dimensional person. Right. Very milk toasty and boring and serious there's way too much in the scripture that it tells us that was not the case he was a full-bodied person he people thought he was funny people liked being around him um and he had some mean things to say sometimes (laughs) 